0: Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike and I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Sorry to Bother You, which has uh, just come out in the UK. It's, it was out in America a few months ago, and it's a uh, it, how do you describe it? It's a it's a satire. It's a kind of dark surreal
1: comedy, um, and it's uh, it also feels like a documentary. So it's it's a weird combination of you know uh, satire, uh, surreal satire, but it feels like a do- like a documentary, right? It's a, it's about poor people, uh, you know, who basically have few options. You know, the hero is living in his uncle's garage. The house is being repossessed. You know, he makes this huge presentation for a job in telemarketing as if he were applying you know, for some major executive position that's mm. so important to him. So it really is about... It's a you know, critique
0: th- more above everything else, I think, of, yes. of capitalism.
1: It's about a critique of capitalism and America and working conditions and exploitation. It's a very, very political film and I thought it was quite Hugely, wonderful in that yeah. way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to give you the basic uh, sort of rundown, um, it's directed by Boots Riley, um, who... Uh, it, this is his first um, film, written and directed by Boots Riley. This is this is his first film. Um, I, he's done music and things before this. So I'm not. I wasn't aware of him basically before this. Um, your main character is played by Lakeith Stanfield, and he plays Cassius Green. Yes. Um, who Called is? Cash. Yeah. Uh, name shortened to Cash as well. And and I think I think the, the, the name Cassius is obviously um, Cassius Clay. Uh, uh, very advisedly chosen because as you say, uh, because yeah, um, Cassius Clay was. Uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, sort of original name, Perfect, birth yeah. name, and then he, um, he famously changed it, he called it his slave name. Yes. And, and Clay obviously being sort of of the earth, he, that's what that relates to, so Muhammad Ali was kind of higher and obviously related to his um, conversion to Islam as well. Mm. Um, and, and the idea of kind of, um, the idea of workers as slaves is uh, a through line that's incredibly strong in this. Yes. Um, to the point where, and I guess we'll get into spoiler territory quite quickly. Um, and there are there are lots of developments in the film that can be spoiled. So uh, my advice would be to see it as blind as you can because the developments that come up are wild, and I don't really want to spoil them if you haven't um, if you haven't seen them. But we will. Yes. So spoilers coming up now. Okay. Um, what transpires is that this uh, one particular. Uh, kind of evil company with a benevolent face, which is the way capitalism kind of works these days. And which run is by the face
1: of Army Hammer, which n- yeah, run by Army Hammer,
0: um, is uh, basically a, a sort of new sort of slave owning company, and is genetically modifying workers into half human, half horse mm. hybrids. Mm. Um, well, it's just there's a whole kind of thing yeah. going on in there. Uh, but the point <coughs> is that. To, that there's this whole kind of new slavery emerging in, in the world of the film. Yeah. And so the name Cassius and the and the connection between workers and slaves and the idea that workers have no choice, these are all operating, so.
1: Yeah, so, so let me intervene a bit because I think the film has a structure which I think is very interesting. So, you know, it begins with this guy getting a job in a telemarketing company. Yeah. And really, the way that it's shown to you, it's like the worst of the worst of the worst job that you can imagine, right? Like, you know, Worse than working at McDonald's or something like that, right? Because they're not even any making; they're not making any money. They're all working on commission, mm. right? And they have no rights, and they have no health care, and yeah. So yeah, just um, cold, calling people. At yeah. Home. So you're looking at this, and you're thinking, "My God, this is the worst of the worst of the worst," right? And then, of course, what the film does is the next stage they show you is even worse. Because what is the company called? Well-being, worry-free, worry-free which is a little bit actually like what you read in the newspapers about Apple production lines in China. Yeah, so yeah, actually um, it has... Fox, Foxconn. Yeah, did, it did. has a resonance with what's happening in parts of the world today, which is that basically people eat, sleep and work in the place that they work, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then you find out that they not only like, eat, sleep and so on so they can work as much as possible but actually they're not paid. (laughs) Right? So they sign their lives away so that they can have a roof over their head and food, right?
0: There's talk of lifetime contracts. Lifetime
1: contracts, that's right. You know, and there's this funny joke where the army Hammer character says, you know, and we only whip them when we have to or something like that, right? (laughs) It's a lie that we treat them badly. You know? (laughs) So, so... And his characterization is very much in the
0: kind of Elon Musk... Um, Elon Musk. Uh, I'm trying to think of other kind of super capitalists along his lines, but sort of
1: um, the guy who runs uh, Be- Bezos.
0: May- yeah, maybe like Jeff Bezos. But so, well, the reason I say Elon Musk is in that kind of um, cool, friendly, hip sort oh, of right, way. So you know what I mean? Bezos, yeah. Like the, the uh, Elon um, Musk thing is is uh, very much sort of you know, hey, I'm cool. I will go on a podcast and I'll smoke some weed, and we're going to send a car into space. And, mm. But also. I'm like hugely exploitative and evil and stupid and, and, and um, so that's the, the kind of cool sort of cool capitalism that tries to make it look like it's normal more one of right. you, that's, that's his mould you know, he wears yes. sandals. Okay,
1: so in the, the film has this structure where what you think is really bad, it gets even worse because it becomes slavery. And then it gets even worse because people are basically experimented like Mengele, you know, against their will so that they could become half horse, half person, so that they could be more easily controlled, but also have greater strength and so on, so they could work more and faster and better. Be more profitable. Yeah. And you know, so 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 you think you begin with as bad a situation as can be. Uh, and then, you know, the film makes it progressively worse and worse and worse. So the interesting thing about it is that it's super dystopian, <laughs> really, but also very funny with it. So it doesn't feel like you're watching kind of, you know, it's not like a noir science fiction dystopia. Yeah. It's like a sunny, funny dystopia, but a dystopian nonetheless.
0: Well, the, the, way, the way it kind of structures that, that descent into finding out how things are worse and worse is done through um, cash going up the chain. Yes. So he kind of rises through classes. So he starts off as a telemarketer, and then he's so good at it um, that he becomes a power caller, which is that the, they keep on talking about, like the next floor up, and people have got their own special gold elevator. It's this whole thing about class in yeah. in their sort of. So he gets the next floor up, and that's when he's on the phone to the lights of um, what's the name of the bloody company again. Um, that's when he's on the phone to the, like, to the likes of Worry Free, and um, and selling. You know, there's this, th- this thing about you know on his first day as a power caller, he sold ten million dollars worth of blah 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 to Worry Free. Like, amazing, what a you know. So mm. so he's kind of making his way, and, and he and he starts making loads and loads of money too. He mm. moves out of his uh, out of his uncle's g- uh, garage. He moves into this beautiful, nice sort of clean white sort of uh, mm. space. And the fact that it's so white is um, kind of important, like, along with the fact that as we'll get on to. Uh, he he utilizes a white voice on the phone to make this happen for yes. him, and um, so he accesses a kind of whiteness in his life to do this. What mm. kind of puts one on, um, and and he again he sees sort of and that's when you find that's when you start hearing more and more about sort of um, the slavery and and, and whatnot. Of Worry free, though you have that has been a thread throughout. And then it, and then when he gets to this party that's being hosted by Army Hammer, the CEO of Worry Free. Um, and it becomes almost like an eyes wide shut sort of secret society thing with an orgy going on and so mm. on and that's when he, he finds out the, the horrible truth about what actually what they're up to, this awful genetic engineering so it's done through this, through this sort of rising status of Cassius and there is a central sort of comic uh, setup to the whole thing which makes it work which is normal guy weird world that's basically, because like, there's, there's often kind of just two versions of comedy, really, which is either normal guy, weird world, or weird guy, normal world. And, the, and when they clash, that's where the comedy comes from. In this, it's a normal guy who thinks he has some understanding of how the world works and finds out that it gets very, very weird very, very quickly. Mm. You know, so it starts over. So the, the initial weirdness is when he joins this telemarketing company, and Danny Glover, who's a kind of uh, a wise old sage who's been doing it for years in the cubicle next to him. Says, use your white voice, um, and and he does. There's a classic sort of very hackneyed comedy bit, particularly in America, of the difference between how white people and black people speak. And white people are all nasally, and black people have very deep voices, and that's the kind of that's the stereotype of, of them both. And what the film does is actually use that, mm. you know. So so Cassius pinches his nose and says, "Oh, so I should talk like this?" And he goes, "No, no, 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 not like that." He says, "Being a white voice is not about the sound of the voice; it's about the attitude. You're mm. free, mm. you know. You've you've paid all your bills. You're going to drive off in your Ferrari. Let them know that on the phone. Mm. So it's quite an interesting idea that like it's not it's not the sound; it's the uh, it, it's the attitude behind it that turns you into a, a, turns your voice white. <laughs> but then the sort of the additional surreal aspect is that um, when he's putting on his white voice, it's voiced by David Cross." who's a white actor and comedian. Right. Um, and there's another white voice a little bit later, used by the guy who's just called Mr. Blank, because his name keeps getting beeped out. Uh, his voice is done by Patton Oswalt. Mm. And it's not like it's just done for the audience. Everyone else hears these voices. Mm. So when Cassius puts on his white voice amongst his friends for a laugh, they're like, God, that's really weird. Mm. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like David Cross. But they don't right. say that. But you know, so like, So it's not just a conceit for the audience. It kind of exists within mm. the film.
1: Okay, I want to say something about uh, yes. the voice. Um, because, so, one of the things that's read it, threaded through the whole film is a critique of racism. So, his name is Cassius. His nickname is Cash. So, you know, you already have a kind of a, both a connection and a dichotomy there. He puts on his wife, his white voice, and the white voice is what helps him be a success telemarketing but ultimately as he rises up the scale you realize you know that in this world he'll always be you know in quotation marks the nigger because really what the army Ham- hammer character wants to use him for is to become you know half man half horse so that he can pretend to be a Martin Luther King character yeah. but only as a totemic figure so that the horseman could be further enslaved, right? (laughs) Yeah, Army
0: Hammer Hammer kind of anticipates that when he's created his millions of horse people, that they will create their own society and culture and want to rebel. And so he wants to nip that in the bud and get ahead of it and use Cassius as a horseman, turn him into one, so that he can become become a kind of deep
1: state uh, version of Martin Luther King. King. Yeah,
0: which is very clever. Which is a very
1: clever idea. Um. And it's also a way of threading in all of this commentary on race in America, which is actually very complexly done, you know, and it's kind of, it it, it appears sidelines or directly or metaphorically at every single level of the film, really, which I thought was really great.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying about, um, about Cash is kind of... All, he's always going to be a second-class citizen. In That's right. He's always going to be the black guy. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely true because like, he's, he's kind of notable for... It's interesting that there are, there are white people in that telemarketing room. There are people of yes. all races and some of them are white. Uh, and none of those uh, people you know, has access to a white voice like he does. Yeah. Right? So like, it, is, it is about... It, it, whiteness is, is connected to, um, to class... And socio-economic status, not race, not not exactly. But then, when he gets up into the higher echelons,
1: you realise um, that the race is absolutely fundamental. Race is absolutely
0: fundamental. And yeah. So <laughs> when he gets to, when he gets to that party, that 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 eyes wide shut party at the top, when he meets Army Hammer, um, Army Hammer, th- th- there's a room full of uh, people, particularly white people, and the Army Hammer is kind of surrounded by women, mm. and he's been the king of the castle, um, and he wants Cassius to tell him stories of life on the street in Oakland he says turn off the white voice mm. you know so he does he re- resumes talking in um, in, his, in his actual voice but he says like I've never had to cap anyone in the ass this, this is he's using uh, Army Hammer's words there Army Hammer says tell us about capping people in the ass or whatever you know so like he's using the stereotypes and he says I bet you can rap and he says, "I can't rap. Actually, I'm really good at listening to rap, but I can't rap. And actually, it's really embarrassing." And then they try and make him rap, and there's this very funny scene where they they give him a microphone, and he they're all kind of uh, they they provide him a beat, and he's awful. He can't even rhyme two two lines together, you know. And then he, um, I don't want to repeat it. Well, no, but, but he, it's a joke in the film, so actually, I think we need to in, repeat it. So it's a joke in the film that he um, he kind of he gives up trying to rhyme, and he just goes nigger nigger kill kills, and something like that I can't that's right that's
1: all he says so they, and then you just know, uh, I, I, and he kill? just repeats it I, I mean I'm not I it's don't, a, and over I don't over. know and then it becomes a thing that like everyone starts joining in with so, so everyone can repeat so all these white people mm. right kind of what they understand of rap is just nigger nigger kill kill that's yeah. the way that they're absorbing it and transcribing it and you know, uh, that's all they hear, and actually, that's all they want to hear. Yeah, like uh, you know, uh, uh, so so that's that in itself is very telling. But can I shift the conversation a little bit because I think you know we're not touching on one of the things that is to me fundamental about this film, which is you know that it is really a film about social change, right? So the strike mm-hmm. is fundamental, resistance is fundamental, behaving morally and ethically with responsibility to your co-workers is kind of fundamental. There are um, references to Norma Ray mm. and things like that, right? I mean, this is a film about kind of, you know, people c- creating change or being pushed, you know, to kind of change their circumstances and the way that they go about it. I mean, I can remember the last time I saw a strike organizer in a film. Well,
0: I mean, interestingly, I, I it made me think of Robin Hood again because just insofar as, um, when I said in, in in the podcast on Robin Hood, That I kind of I believed in the the feeling of the fight that it communicated, and I still do. I still think that's um, that's fair. Um, It's 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 very much the same in this. You know that that feeling of the intensity of the fight and what it's what they stand for and the importance of it is uh, brilliantly conveyed in this. Mm. Uh, Enormously powerful and um, and the fact that it's kind of it 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 has this realistic air to it. So you know, uh, despite the fact it's quite an absurdist sort of film. Um, the strike is about um, uh, they're unionizing, you know. It's yes. like unions are hated in America, I and mean, they're hated here as well. But they're they're hated in America, and and there's constant there's always talk of uh, you know, kind of shutting down the unions and and uh, firing workers if they threaten to even think about unionizing. Mm. I mean, in this they um, they. They really put an effort into actually. Like, they're not they're not cowed by it in mm. this. I kind of thought that's where the film would go. Actually, I thought that they would talk about unionizing and try to do it and end up being crushed. Yes, but it's not the case. They um they have more success than that, and they are mm. able to actually build a build a fight and build yes. a case.
1: Um, but I think it, to me it's interesting that it's a film about that, right? Uh, and I thought the 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 character, what's her name, Detroit. The girlfriend, Tessa Thompson yeah Tessa Thompson the character that she plays is also kind of very interesting because you know she's a feminist and she's an artist and you know she's constantly creating things with a political message so you know she makes rings uh, earrings that are like big penises or you know earrings with political messages or earrings with logos critiquing logos yeah um, and you know so her whole kind of arts project and so on, Is very interesting. And actually, I also thought that the love affair was depicted in a very interesting manner because, you know, there's never a question of them loving each other, right? But there is a question of can you be with someone who behaves unethically, Mm. which again is a question I haven't seen in cinema very recently, right? (laughs) You know, where kind of people's ethics are also who they are, you know? Uh, uh, and yeah, uh, with him
0: crossing the picket line. Yeah, um, she says you're becoming a scout because he's now in the higher echelons of the of the of the company. He's a power caller now, and they're setting up this picket line uh, to strike. And she says, if you cross this picket line to you know, when you go into work today, we're through. Yes, um, which is which is pretty strong. Yes, you know, and and but absolutely justified, and mm. you feel it, and you agree with it, really.
1: Yes, so so uh, so the film is very interesting on 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 a lot of levels. I also thought it was visually interesting, right? Like, you know, it had a lot of visual gags or interesting images that were. There was a lot of effort kind of put into kind of making the film work as a movie. It wasn't just a series of sketches, yeah? Mm. Uh, On the other hand, I really hated the look of it. It's grainy and dark and. um, I I, I had some issues with. With that, I think the lighting
0: in some scenes is really good, but other scenes it does feel very dark, and it and it. I think the look of it doesn't cohere enough. I, I just I just don't think it looks good enough. Yes. Um. I don't think there are I don't think there are massive flaws of the way it looks, but I I, I did feel that there was a, there was a, a lack kind of visually.
1: But it has it has visual imagination. The scenes where he calls people and he ends up yes. being in their living room, right? There are kind of gags like that that I think are you know work very well and they're visual you know and kind of you know some framings like you know when he's looking through doorways and you mm. know or when he the, the scene where he goes into the toilet those are very good the scenes in the mansion for example are horrible mm. right like the orgy scene you can barely see anything and actually you don't think it's a patterned look and it looks really grainy and cheap somehow right like you know so um and even scenes like you know with with Tessa with her working her sign you know, at the very beginning of the film, you think, I mean, they could have made that into something interesting visually, and they just didn't. Yeah, right? I didn't quite understand um, the frame.
0: Everything just seems a little bit badly framed at those points. Like yeah. I saw, sort of, even even though the idea is that she's not really twirling the sign very well, yeah, she's just kind of enjoying it. You can't even really see her, yeah. enjoying it. It's not if the camera would just pull back a bit in those shots. I felt
1: yes, it's very kind of inexpert in that way. Um, but
0: again, there are. There, but on the other hand, there are these. There are these moments of charm, like you say, like when when he's making those 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 uh, calls right at the start, and when when someone picks up the phone, his desk crashes down into where they live, and he's, and he ends up you know opposite someone mourning the loss of their husband, or he uh, uh, or he ends up sex. opposite a couple of people fucking on a on a couch, um, is great. And um, there's also that sweet little montage where when he's becoming rich and he's kind of upgrading um his lifestyle, uh, in his in his sort of apartment. Um, like his crappy old TV like falls apart. Physically For it's a prop that physically comes apart in half and is replaced by a flat screen TV. Yeah. And it's and it's like a Michelle Gondry thing. And then the film actually references Michelle Gondry a little bit later on uh-huh. with the claymation stuff. It's that promo film that Army Hammer shows Cassius and it's all done in claymation. Right. And it says at the start, directed by Michelle Dongry. Oh, right. An okay. I missed that. Yeah. 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 yeah so and right. so it's, it's very deliberately uh, picking up on that. And those parts are wonderful. They're really good fun to look at and uh-huh. kind of quite visually exciting. So it definitely has its charms. Yes. Um, but they, they are
1: intermittent. I found also that the film uh, didn't quite cohere for me. So, you know, I was enjoying it very much and I thought how inventive and how great to see these things. And then at a certain point, I began looking at my watch. (laughs) Right, like how long? Do you remember when? Yes, Um, it's. It was after the orgy, you know. After he's talked to her, and you just think, you know, where's this going? Like, you know, it kind of it lost some of the fizz, Hmm. and you, you know, it just it began to feel flat. And then it kind of, you know, it perked up again. Then it has moments, yeah. But then you're kind of waiting for it to end. It, It doesn't. It didn't feel... I think it's a film of moments and pieces. And it has, like, you know, a wonderful central idea. Mm. But it's not tightened up.
0: I do know what you mean. And I kind of <coughs> um, What I would say is that I think it might feel very different on second viewing. Because there are so many surprises in the film. In terms of its plot development. Mm. That part of the part of that experience and for me kind of one of the joys is really not knowing where it's going to go because so i'd seen the trailer and what i knew from the trailer was it's a kooky satire about telemarketing where you and in the trailer you see this whole thing of him getting his white voice and and that it's like it's actually it's not just him putting on a voice but it's actually someone else's voice so i kind of oh that's a fun idea you know um but i didn't i i didn't see anything else that, that would be coming in the film you know um i thought I just thought that would be it. Um, so, the fact that the white voice stuff maybe halfway, two thirds of the way through the film is actually dropped. You don't really hear it after, for very, yes. mu- very long after that. Is interesting because then you're getting into the mansion, and then you're getting into the like I say that the the, um, the meeting with Army Hammer. And by that point, I'm going. I really don't know where this film's going next. And I was excited about that. You know, there were so there were so many kind of. Possibilities the film had opened up with its various plot strands. Mm. I thought there's so many ways it can kind of combine its stories and and and, uh, and resolve things uh, and develop them, which I thought were great. So so you know when he goes into the into that into the, the room with the olive door when he's looking for the bathroom, and he comes across the the horse creature. It's a complete shock. It's from <laughs> out you've had no indication <laughs> at all. That there would be something like that in this. It story. becomes a
1: completely different movie.
0: It does, and I think yeah. it's great. And I think you know there there are issues with the fact that it it kind of, um, I think it leads to a certain lack of coherence because it does change, it shifts so severely. Mm. But on the other hand, I love it. I think it's so imaginative, um, and 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 kind of bold and brave. I think uh, the flaws that that introduces are hugely outweighed by the positives.
1: I think that's right. I mean it is it is inventive it is political it is funny right it's caving in fact you know it has a real critique of the culture that we live in and actually it kind of it offers a way out in a way you know Uh, um, so 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 I think it's a film you know worth talking about really and and supporting Uh, and you know certainly kind (laughs) of it was enjoyable right like Um, so, you know, to say it has all these faults, which I do think it does, um, doesn't mean that it's kind of not a film, you know, that you won't enjoy seeing and certainly kind of enjoy talking about as well, you know, so, um, you know, a film, I always think that a film that actually, actually has real laughs, you know, is, is always good in some way, (laughs) like, you know, and kind of. And this, aside from the laughs that it does offer, and it is a comedy, and it does work as a comedy, you know, it's also kind of offering, you know, quite a lot, quite a lot more. I think
0: the film also shares uh, more than a kind of minor resemblance, I think, to Get Out. That's right. In that uh, I already mentioned sort of the um, the thing about a, a normal guy stuck in a weird world, sort of thing, which is which is clearly where that's the mode that Get Out works in. Yes. You know, you kind of. Gets into this very, very weird world. Um, but also the um, in the kind of medical experimentation. Because um, obviously in Get Out, well, it's not so much experimentation as, as kind of use, but it's medical procedures. Mm. Uh, in Get Out, the idea is uh, this is spoilers, I guess, for Get Out, but you should have seen it, it's great. Um, the idea in Get Out is that white people, kind of affluent white people, are using black people's bodies, they're kind of inserting themselves in, like being John Malkovich. Um, to prolong their lives, and and mm. and there's a whole, I mean, you know, people have commented um, more than is necessary for me to bring up about kind of the the, the um, analogies to slavery and and kind of subjugation of black people and so on. And what's happening in, um, sorry to bother you, the kind of the, the medical procedure is about turning workers into kind of horse-human hybrids. So the it's not about black people specifically it's about people of lower class yes um that's where the kind of that that's where it is and i think it's 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 definitely the case that the horse has been chosen very specifically i think as it's kind of it's a beast of burden um but also i think that there is i think there is a racial component to it the I that they mentioned that um uh as kind of, I suppose, one of the pros of being turned into a half-horse thing, you get a huge cock. Yes. And I think that the, I think that is drawing on the stereotype of black men having large penises.
1: Of course, without a doubt. I mean, it's very pointedly drawn out. You know? Yeah,
0: so I, I think it's interesting that it, the film isn't kind of going 100% down the route of uh, of, of connecting this to to uh, black subjugation in particular. It's, it's a class thing, as I think everything, everything in the film is more about a class well, But it's thing. not
1: just a class thing, because our protagonist is black, so, so it's true that it it kind of puts race within a class context, and you know that's very important and mm. it's very interesting that the film and intelligent that the film does so. but nonetheless, you know it is it is primarily mm. about race, right kind mm. of you know just by virtue of having the protagonist and the world and so many of the references that being made to sing a rap sure. song mm. and all of those things. Uh, so so I think you're right to point out uh, the connections. Uh, um, with Get Out, uh, because it is another denunciation of um, racial politics in contemporary America as, um, as a re-enslaving, yeah. you know, uh, uh, done under a so-called liberal guise, uh, but actually kind of removing people's rights. And I think even the class component has a racial dimension in the sense you know that it's not just black people who are being turned into slaves and beasts of burden now but actually all poor people Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so so you know but again kind of uh, like in so much of American culture and history it's like the history of slavery is almost like a baseline to to every other discourse
0: yeah yeah yeah, well, it's thing, I, I think I, I've said it before, and they definitely copied it off someone, but I don't know who I copied it off. The idea that um, every story in America is about race, and every story in Britain is about class. Uh, and I think there's there's a kind of general and kind of, I guess, sort of slightly amusing truth for that, but what is kind of underneath both of those is that um, stories about race in America are also about class. Yes. You know, and race is just connected to class in a very. And it's not that it's not here, but. It is m- so much more transparently, I think, in American stories. Yes. Um, and so the way that the you know the way in which stories bother you uh, very transparently combines them, yes. You know, is really interesting. Yes, is very notable. At least it's also offering a whole commentary on on the establishment and kind of commodification, which I think is interesting. It has, and in in this respect, there was a kind of Black Mirror feel to it, and I'm thinking particularly of the Black Mirror episodes. Um, I think it's called fifteen million credits. It's one from the first series, I think, with um, Daniel Kaluuya becoming a kind of he, he's he's a again a kind of slave. He's housed in a place um, by by the corporation that kind of owns him, I guess, um, and he's kind of fed and entertained there and sleeps mm. there and then goes to work riding these cycles. And there's a and and there's a kind of TV competition X Factor thing in that episode. I think I'm I'm remembering it very vaguely, so I might be wrong about the, the details. But as I recall, it he he kind of starts to see this X Factor type thing as uh, a, a path to sort of freedom, breaking the system, and actually becomes mm. sort of enveloped by it in a way. I mm. think I th- that's anyway um, that this film has a whole kind of tone of that as well. With for instance um, when. When Cassius is breaking the picket, uh, he gets a coke can thrown at his head, mm. and he starts bleeding. He has this bandage on the, on his head basically for the rest of the film. Um, and the girl who threw it, she kind of took a video of herself while she was doing it, and she becomes kind of a star. And initially, it's like a counterculture star thing, like you know, mm. I'm part of the, I'm part of the rally, I'm part of the picket. Fuck this guy for breaking the picket. Mm. And then what happens? She gets her own TV show mm. called something like. Um, have a coat can to the head and smile bitch, or something like that, like it 's proper sort of uh, dystopian kind of absorbed by the establishment commodified stuff. people start wearing these these kind of afro wigs with coat cans in them mm. you know there's merchandise of of this kind of countercultural act, and that 's not the only example, but the film has well, the several. worst
1: the The worst example um is uh the beat the shit out of you show. Where actually somebody presents themselves, and really the program is about beating the shit out of them. Yeah, it's, yeah. I
0: just got the shit kicked out of me. I think. it's Yeah. Called.
1: Um, um, so, which which reminds me of Jerry, the TV talk show host that they made an opera about. Oh, Springer. Jerry Springer. Yeah. Right, but like an an extraordinarily extreme version of that, right? Yeah. Where kind of you know they just they just grab somebody. You know, two thugs grab you by the arms. You know, and while somebody, another one, just beats the crap out of you. (laughs) There there was
0: this internet video from uh, um, 2001, 2002, maybe that was that was called uh, the "Kicked in the Nut" show. I think it was a parody of that kind of crap TV. But the, the the joke in the show was a guy in a big orange wig. Runs up to someone on the street, kicks them in the nuts, and they get pissed off. Mm. And then he go- and then he like he goes, he stops, points at the camera that's filming them covertly, and says, "My friend, my friend, you've just been kicked in the nuts." <laughs> and that was and so like it, it seemed to me a, a reference to that. Yeah, well, like you know the, the things the difference with kicked in the nut show is that it was kind of covert but then what would happen in the kicked in the nut show is once people realized that they were on tv they'd go oh i get it oh it's great i'm on tv mm. as opposed to continuing to be pissed off that they got kicked in the nuts mm. so the difference in this obviously is that people are presenting themselves to be beaten up knowingly um but there's a kind of similarity there i think but it's just the the idea of kind of everything in the film is is available to be commodified like kind of mm. the establishment can absorb anything when they first rise up in the 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 Telemarketing office, right? They all agree outside. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna say phones down, and we're gonna stop calling, and we're gonna strike, and they do it. Um, and and Cassius uh, yeah. takes part in it, and then he goes into like a manager's office, expecting to be fired. And what happens at that moment is he goes. Actually, you've been promoted. Yeah. Like, so the moment that you know that uh, he actually takes a stand against what's happening, they, they absorb him. him. They absorb yeah. him even more and take him to the next level. That's right. You know. And then the kind of next, the final stage of that in the film, it's slightly different. But the final stage of that, well, I think it's related, is when he he goes on the, kicked, uh, the the I got the shit kicked out of me show, and he presents himself to have the shit kicked out of him on the understanding that they will show this tape mm. that he's managed to get of um, uh, of the horse people being badly treated and of Army Hammer in particular being part of it. He shows it. And then what happens? No one cares. And actually, Army Hammer is turning into an even bigger celebrity, and the business goes through the roof financially because everyone's going, "What a genius! Look at the genetic breakthrough that they've done." No one understands the severity of what they've just seen. They that's don't right. care.
1: That's right. So that's a critique of you know the, so, the social, the mediatized social world um, we live in, and I think very effective too. But I want to talk about two things, um, and you know, make sure I don't forget. So. Yeah. The first is the participation in this film of Danny Glover and Army Hammer, and it's produced by Forrest Whit- Whitaker, mm. right? So, you know, this is, a, this is a project that's been really supported by, you know, heavyweights, really. Yeah, yeah. big names. Big names. Um, so, so it's obviously kind of a project that people want to be a part of and support, you know, the person saying it, and also what is being said, and I just think, you know, that that's worth remarking on because you know certain kinds of films actually need the support of these heavyweights in order to kind of, you mm. know, be made and also be circulated. So that's the first thing I just and I just wanted to mention it, um, and also that they're very good. Certainly, Danny Glover and Army Hammer is surprisingly good. I thought the other thing is I want to talk about the um, enormous richness. Of um, films made by black filmmakers at the moment, there's a but there's been a whole spate of them in the last year, you know, which which I think collectively mm. are quite incredible, and that nonetheless seem to be going hand in hand with you know what people are saying is a decline in cinema, right? You know so on the one hand, mm-hmm. you have like this decline of the medium. You know, but on the other hand, kind of these great works are being made and this re- these really interesting works are being made, and particularly collectively, yeah. Within the past 12 or 18 months, we've seen Black Panther, we've seen uh, uh, Moonlight, we've seen Get Out, uh, we've seen Widows more recently, you know, this... <coughs> <oops. laughs> My tea. This film... And I'm sure many others that I'm now forgetting, right? The First Purge comes to mind for the me. The First Purge, um, The Equalizer 2, yeah. <laughs> right? So there's a whole range of like really fascinating films made by black filmmakers. Black Klansman, Black Klansman, yeah. right? Uh, you know, on almost all, all levels of filmmaking from big budget genre pieces like The Equalizer 2 to horror like Get Out and The First Purge, right? To comedies like this. You know, um, and Black Panther, and Black, which is just on its own level, and <laughs> on level to superhero films, right? So, so I think that's worth remarking upon. Yeah, you know, because I can i actually can't remember another year like this. I just can't think of a year in which there's been, you know, so many great films or like really good ones with so going through such a diversity of genres, you know, that explore kind of issues of interest not only to black audiences, though I think there might be a primary address <laughs> to them, but actually kind of, you know, uh, to anyone interested in what's happening to American culture, you know. Uh, so it's a, I, th- I think it's kind of a phenomenal year. And and I, what I wanted to kind of raise is, you know, the issue isn't it interesting when, we, you know, when people are saying, oh, cinema's dead and blah, blah, and, you know, Netflix has taken over the world and whatever that it's also arises at the same time as this very considerable diversity of films made by black filmmakers is coming up. So I think that's worth celebrating. And, but you know, particularly since kind of all of these things kind of shift, right? Like, you know, uh, um, Sorry to Bother You has this great joke where, you know, friends are sitting, you know, chatting and, you know, one of them says, are Italians white? No fuck off, the Titans aren't white, and they go, oh, they became white 60 years ago, but they became white, but only 60 years ago, (gasps) right? Which is a brilliant joke. It's a brilliant joke, and it just kind of, you know, shows, you know, kind of, you know, how, how, how race and ethnicity, in many ways, is a social construct, you know, and how kind of that shifts over time, you know, as kind of discourses around it shift over time, Mm. Uh, and you know kind of that made for for a great joke uh, So but this is kind of something to celebrate particularly in the current political context, which is like so down and negative and it feels so dystopian It feels like there's no way out and there's Trump and there's brexit and you know, and so on Yeah, yeah I think actually to make a really funny film that uh, you know shows a situation being really worse than even this and kind of finding a solution and kind of solidarity i think is quite wonderful and being very funny about it
0: yeah and i think the solidarity is I I, one one little nuance little moment in the film i really loved was right at the end when the horse people have been freed and then they in turn uh free Cassius, Mm. and they, they they connect the korean guy in the group it says he he like he puts his fist to his chest. And he says something like same fight, something like that. Like the fight that we have mm. against uh, against the, the, our our oppressors is the same as yours, even though um, you're in a slightly worse position in that you are a horseman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I like I just you know I like that, and, and it reminded me of things like um, Pride, for instance, where mm. you know the idea of like the, 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 the whole tension in Pride is will gay Londoners. Get on with Hardy Welsh miners, and what they discover is that they have the same fight, and yeah. together they're stronger. Yes. Now it's only a small element; like that's only a tiny moment in this, but it's still kind of I, I liked that it was in there. like the, um,
1: Well, it's a tiny moment, but it's part yes. of a larger thread throughout the film. Yeah, exactly. So there's one more thing which might be worth talking about, which is um,
0: which is the director Boots Riley mm. um had a had a, a, a It's interesting, actually, the comparison between this and Black Klansman Mm. is, um, uh, and this was something that I noted when 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 I saw the trailer at first, which was that the idea of um, being able to a black person who would normally be kind of ignored or badly treated in some way, being able to uh, display themselves as white over the phone, you know. So in Black Klansman, Mm -hmm. obviously, that's kind of central. Ron Stallworth in that film is able to have conversations with David Duke, David Duke thinking that he's white and being quite candid with him. And obviously in this, there's the whole kind of conceit of the white voice yes. um, it is, is kind of central to how uh, um, Cassius moves up in the world, yes. moves up in the company at least. Um, and there was, there was... It's funny that there was a... Boots Riley had... Um, uh, quite a strong sort of criticism of Black Klansmen when it came out. And they were out at the same time in America. There may have been a slight rivalry, but I don't know, but um but he 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 talked very very uh interestingly and very severely about something that I hadn't thought about at all, which was the idea that it's a problem in black Klansmen that um the police are made to be the heroes in a fight against racism, whereas actually the police are a huge, huge problem. And, and as you've seen over the last few years, it's been I- exposed. Yeah. I don't know that it's got worse, but it's certainly been exposed more and more so. Mm. You know, um, uh, um, and obviously like the police are the heroes in that film. There is a certain amount of internal um, racism in the department, but essentially they're the good guys in this fight, mm. which was an interesting perspective that I hadn't considered at all when I saw it. Mm. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that.
1: I'm not sure I agree in a way. Mm. Um, Black people are part of the police force and they do live in a particular state. And to say, you know, that you can't show uh, policemen for that matter or black policemen uh, kind of being heroic uh, seems to me um, to be wrong uh, and divisive. Uh, And also, I mean, just kind of for the record, I also don't like when people of a minority critique, you know, (laughs) somebody else of a minority in, um, I mean, I don't mind if they do it like, you know, in a a journal or something, but to come out in the media and effectively to try to damage the film at the moment of release rather than later on, you know, having reflection on what's being done and why and so on. Uh, it seems to me to be impolitic and lacking in the very solidarity that he tries to convey in this film.
0: That's interesting, yeah.
1: I think there's a time and a place for things and to try to kill, you know, a film's box office Mm. uh, by critiques like that doesn't strike me as good policy or good politics.
0: I think that's that's kind of fair. Nonetheless, if you, if you want to read his criticism, he, he put it out on Twitter. Uh-huh. He put it out in a series of images, actually, because it can contain a lot more text in an okay. image than 100, 140 characters or whatever. Um, but it's, it, it is very interesting to read. Okay. It talks about the kind of changes that were made to the true story behind Black Klansman in order to um, build a different kind of point. Okay, well, you know, that would be interesting to look at. So that's interesting to look at, certainly.
1: So maybe that's something that you can put in... Yeah,
0: yeah no, I'll, I'll put that in the description then. That, yeah, why not? Yeah, that'll be good. Um, yeah, but, I, um, I think I've, um, it's funny, I feel like there's more to say about, uh, about Sorry to Bother You, but I'm not entirely sure what it is, I think it does need a little bit of time to go here, and I would be interested to see it a second time to see how well it coheres now that I know the whole story.
1: Yes, I'm less keen on doing that.
0: No, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I'll go back to the cinema to see it again, but certainly when it's available on home media, I'd be yes. interested in watching it twice. Okay. Um, just for my own, for my own elucidation, not for another podcast, but, um. I mean, I, I. I'm glad. I'm glad that it's sort of. It's so imaginative. Like it's. It, it it's so. It is deeply flawed, and I think the way that it's put together, is lacking, and the way the story is told does feel, like it. It does feel like it lacks a certain something. But, it's full of energy and full of ideas, and I. I really enjoyed the fact that I, just at points properly did not know where it was going to go next yes. in the best way.
1: And also. It's funny. I think we need to repeat that, right? Like, I think yeah. people will, you know, it's, um, it's all that Mike said, and it's also very funny. Uh, and it's a smart, you know, it's smart. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, like, um, films are very slick, you know, and kind of very well-made in quotation marks, but also really dumb, right? Kind of, this is almost the opposite. It's rough in parts. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's a really intelligent movie, right? Yeah. So to be intelligent and to be funny is already like you know quite something.
0: And I really love. I think one final thing that's on my mind is that I really love Tessa Thompson's character, and particularly what I love is that you could very easily criticize the film for having only one female character of any note, mm. which is which is her, and all the other characters are male, and that's definitely true. But um, it would definitely be. Uh, it would be a, a weakness of your kind of criticism to suggest that um, she's just kind of filling a role, ticking boxes. Like she is as forceful and as uh, kind of smart and interesting as any of the other characters, and yes. she's a force
1: of nature in it. And she's a conscience. And actually, it's not quite true to say she's the only female character. Um, you know, there's the there's the boss. Yeah, the, the kind trainee. of. The, the, I mean, it's the a boss small, with the funny name. That's it. Well, it's a small role, but she's got like three scenes where she leads. Yeah. You know, so it's not nothing um but you know kind of point taken but in both ways i mean she is the only leading female character in the film you know but what a character it is it's, it's she's a really mm. interesting and powerful uh presence
0: yeah absolutely all right yeah
1: well um thank you very much we are eavesdropping at the movies we're uh, on
0: uh, we're on itunes soundcloud uh twitter facebook youtube and eavesdroppingatthemovies.com thank you very much for listening Cheerio.